Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons and I'm a journalist who spends her life asking tough questions to experts who really know their stuff, so you don't have to. This week we're talking about fad diets and the hidden damage to fertility. As always, we'd love to know what you think about this topic. If you have a question or comment, please tweet us using the hashtag medicalminefield or email us at health at mailonsunday.co.uk. Now, this topic is particularly pertinent for me, given that I was one of the millions of young women who fell under the spell of clean eating diets. For those of you who don't know, clean eating diets are a way of eating that's promoted usually by bloggers or social media influencers or people on Instagram that instructs you to eat in a certain way that is supposedly good for your health, which generally means uh, cutting out a load of major food groups from your diet and mainly existing on vegetables and fruit. I was under the impression that clean eating would offer me everything from perfect skin to a flat stomach. But in fact, I was wrong. I couldn't have been more wrong. I got very sick. I lost a lot of weight. And one of the most surprising things that um, I noticed was a few months into me going on this clean eating diet, well, eating very little, I lost my periods. So I stopped getting regular menstrual cycles that most healthy women have under the age of about 45 every month. And what I never expected is that even when I started eating normally again, my period still didn't come back. And it took about six years before they um, came back. And even now, they're they're still quite irregular, to be honest. So I thought about this last week when I came across a post on Instagram that was shared by Izzy Judd, who is the wife of McFly star and former Strictly champion Harry Judd. Um, But she's also now an influencer um, in her own right. She has podcasts. She writes about maternity and fertility and all these kinds of things. And uh, she seemed to be suggesting that she had a similar problem to me. In the post, she looked great, um, to be honest. She was enviably toned. Um, She was dressed in this bikini and she had a child kind of clinging to her hip and it looked like she was saying, look, I can do it all. I can have the perfect body and be a great mum. But actually, if you read the caption, it revealed something quite different. She said, after Kit was born, which is her second child, without trying, I lost weight quickly. My body completely changed within a few months. Losing weight became an unhealthy obsession. Looking back, I was battling disordered eating, which was having a huge impact on my life, health and fertility, as I was having no periods. I started bioidentical hormones, which are just hormones you can take to replace oestrogen. She writes, despite this treatment, I had no periods. Now, I obviously found this fascinating, given my own history, um, but I've also long been frustrated with celebrity mothers out there who seem to be able to pop out several children and meanwhile remain extraordinarily thin and gain somewhat of a reputation for eating very little and enjoying a watermelon for a birthday cake. I'm mentioning no names here. And I, struggling to get my periods back, found it really frustrating that I was a healthy weight. I wasn't existing on watermelon anymore. And yet I still wasn't able to have regular periods. So I was intrigued to find out why Izzy had decided to come clean about this issue when so few celebrity mothers do. So Izzy has very kindly agreed to have a chat with me today and she's on the line now. Izzy, you've been very honest and brave in speaking about this when so few people do. And and I just want to say thank you for that because I know it will be much appreciated. Can you tell us a bit about when this unhealthy obsession with food and exercise you talk about, when did this start for you? It's difficult to 
really pinpoint because it's only when I suppose disordered eating becomes um, an issue that you start to track back to your relationship with food isn't it and I think you know growing up I would say I had a good relationship with food but the only thing I I do really remember is my mum permanently being on a diet as I think it was quite generational of that time that they were trying all sorts of different different diets and I was aware of that narrative from her maybe even just on a subconscious level and then I went away to boarding school uh, a music school in Manchester and and I was obviously around lots of girls uh, breakfast lunch dinner and there was a conversation about food and looking back you know, I remember going through periods where I would kind of go, oh, I'm just going to have cheese and crackers for tea. Um, but it might only last a couple of nights and then I'd be um, starving and I'd eat more. Um, but I, there was definitely conversations there, but I wouldn't say that it was affecting me. The only time really that it, I think, started to become sort of, I think the issue was more about my anxiety and losing control during my period of life when I was trying for a baby and fertility that food became a possible oh well if you remove dairy from your diet or gluten from your diet it might help um, with the polycystic ovaries which is what I was uh, diagnosed with as why I was having problems conceiving so I became quite obsessive about food because I thought well that way maybe it will solve the problem of not being able to have a baby and it's interesting you you say that about not being able to have a baby when you at the same time that you were kind of your disordered eating was almost picking up in a way do you think that the two things are linked because I know you you mentioned in your post that you did lose your periods looking back hindsight's an amazing thing isn't it I think that's why having these conversations and everything you're doing Eve is so important because I just think there was a complete lack of understanding of the connection between the importance of nutrition with fertility in terms of actually feeding your body and giving it the energy that it needs to actually be able to reproduce. I think that I was removing things from my diet and the problem was was that I was actually, because of the medication that I was on, to try and treat the polycystic ovaries I was gaining weight and unable to to lose weight so my relationship with food became very unhealthy so after the birth of my second child who um, it was kind of miraculous I, I conceived him naturally after my daughter who was conceived via IVF I lost a lot of weight without trying and having been pumped with hormones for so long for fertility treatment and then going through a pregnancy having a baby then another pregnancy and having my second baby suddenly I felt comfortable in my body again in that I felt I was I was losing weight people were commenting and then that gets addictive because you feel good because people are Mm. saying oh my goodness you've had two babies la 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 and then before you know it you're in this cycle of over exercising under eating and actually I I was quite became looking back you know quite unwell 
Mm. And were you, were you, were you, what was your kind of daily, what, what did a day like, look like for you in terms of exercise and, and food? Yeah, so by that point, I should, al- I should also kind of, the other key ingredient to all this as well is stress, isn't it? I had two small children, two under two. I was working, I was writing a book. So I would get up in the morning, I'd be rushing around for the children, getting them to nursery. I wouldn't have had any food. I'd then go to the gym, do a workout, still having not had any food. And it was almost like a kind of, oh, you've got to whatever time and you've still not eaten anything. But it was almost like a buzz from that rather than it being, Izzy, you need to eat something because you need to fuel to give yourself the energy to do all these things. But it became such a, so habitual and, and as I say, you know, kind of um, part of my way of dealing with all the stress and anxiety was it was something I could control and you know so I would then probably have like a kind of smoothie or something mid-morning and then lunchtime it would literally be a couple of rice cakes and you know avocado or something on top of it Mm -hmm. barely anything I mean looking back you just you think oh my goodness was it the lack of food that you were kind of trying to get at or was it more the kind of health side of it that you wanted to be clean everything had to be pure I know that for me that was a a, definitely a thing yeah initially before I realized that it was actually HA hypothalamic amenorrhea the medical term for losing your periods yeah exactly I thought my issue with food was clean eating I definitely had this feeling that everything needed to be pure and clean and I was so into healthy eating and I'd removed meat from my diet because I'd gone off it in my pregnancy so I was beginning to eliminate lots of foods and obviously before that because of the fertility uh, advice with nutrition I'd removed dairy I'd removed gluten so I'd I'd cut out so many food groups Mm. then every meal time was like right well I can't have that I can't have that I I don't want to have that because it's not clean and and so before you know it you're you've limited what you're having to so few foods and then that feeds into your your social life because you don't go to a restaurant where you might not have control over um the menu or to someone's house when you know you wouldn't want to eat a certain food but obviously you don't want to be rude so you then stop going you know it was torture really Mm -hmm. Uh, you know i was sort of hostage to my food intake every day and without really really realizing just how bad it was because my attention was on my children and I was the last person on the list really to kind of go hang on a minute Izzy what's going on here and and was for me Izzy the the social media stuff was like I felt like I was bombarded by all of these messages that was basically telling me you can only eat vegetables and they should preferably be not cooked um and presented beautifully and that should be the only thing you exist on did you feel that there was pressure from there too because I know you're kind of on on Instagram quite a lot for work I think I was interested by the conversations that were happening about healthy eating you know I had grown up with sort of cocoa pots for breakfast or uh, Nutella sandwiches and Mm. you know coca-cola at weekends and whatever and I was interested by healthy eating and to begin with I felt good eating those foods Mm. you know I felt better I felt less bloated I felt um but the problem was I had no I had no balance so when something would come up on my social feed I would 
attach myself to it. You know, it's kind of like when you think you're going to get a new car and then it's the only car you see on the road. Mm. It's that thing mm. with food, like when, when you start to tap into it, it's then all consuming. It's all you see. It's all you hear about, all you think about, and your brain will ruminate without you mm. really knowing. And then, you know, bedtime, it's like, what have I eaten today? What am I going to eat tomorrow? And mm. there was almost no, there was no switch. There was no way of shutting off from it. And were you exercising a lot at this point as well? So I'd exercise kind of three, four times a week. Um, and definitely, you know, if I'd had a, a meal that I wanted to run off or get to the gym, you know, exercise became about that almost mm. more than about the actual exercise. Um, and I never, you know, it was a lot of high-intensity training, which is fine once in a while, but if you're doing putting your body through that stress so consistently without balancing it with a swim or a walk or, mm. you know, yoga or something else. Um, my adrenals, my adrenaline, everything was, I think, so high. And all that mixed in with not enough fuel from food and, and the stress of life and, and everything else your endocrine system and your hormones really react to that as women. Um, obviously, everybody is completely unique and responds differently. But for me, I was definitely completely running on empty. And I believe that's what caused my periods to stop. And, you know, it was only when uh, I read the amazing book by Dr. Nicola Rinaldi, No Period, Now What?, and started her recovery program, uh, from that day, I I stopped exercising, started eating more and, and reduced stress, which in that short sentence seems so simple, but it was one of my greatest challenges to mm. overcome. Um, but I, my motivation with my children, I, I, I wanted to get better and set an example for them. I wanted to eat birthday cake and not feel guilty. I was determined, and a month later, my period started. That's that's very impressive. That's brilliant. And I'm so pleased for you. When did the period stop? And I guess I'm interested in whether you put two and two together at all at any point. It's difficult to be really to have complete knowledge of my periods because I was on the pill for so long as a teenager because I had terrible period pains. And again, I think, you know, it's lack of education. I think this is the case with a lot of women, isn't it? And then they come off yeah. the pill and they don't know what what's normal what's what yeah and also how your period and your monthly cycle gives us a lot of understanding of why we are more energized at a certain time in our in the month or a time we need to cozy up on the sofa or a time we need to be um, inspired and it's all through our cycle and obviously if you're on the pill and all of that is numbed we don't have an understanding of of that and our bodies, which was another incentive for me to get my periods going because I wanted to feel those sort of highs and lows through my cycle. How long were you sa- would you say you were without a period, Izzy, in that time that you were when things were really bad? Um, so when Kit was born, I had maybe one period and then it was three years before my next period. Wow. And, and at any point, did you think, I'm eating not very much and I'm exercising a lot, that could be related? I never connected it because... I went to my doctor and said, look, I haven't had a period. And I was put on progesterone to try and bring on um, a period. And my body resisted. 
I was sent for a bone density scan just to check my estrogen uh, because my estrogen was so low. Um, and I, I am osteopenic, which is a result of low estrogen. Um, so then I went to a specialist, a hormone health specialist, and started bioidentical hormones. And again, nothing happened. And in that consultation, you know, my, my BMI was talked about, you know, my, my weight. Mm-hmm. And, but I just sort of, I, my BMI was normal within my height. Mm-hmm. And um, I exercised three to four times a week. I, in my head, yeah, I eat well. I sort of didn't really, it wasn't, the connection wasn't made. I just thought, well, my hormones have never worked and I always had, you know, had problems with fertility and my periods and I just didn't connect the two and it was only on a chance meeting with somebody who, who happened to mention about this book, you know, No Period, Now What, that I, I heard about. Um, HA for the first time and it was like reading my head yeah so for for those who don't know uh, so as I understand it hypothalamic amenorrhea I'm going to try and say that correctly um, is is the medical term for when periods stop or regular cycles stop and from what I understand there's some debate as to whether that's because of body weight or whether it's because of fuel um it's kind of you know if you don't have enough fuel in the tank then the hypothalamus in the brain says it's not safe to have a baby basically but there's 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 different studies and i think some gynecologists say it's definitely just to do with body fat because the signals from body fat that signal to the ovaries to tell them to start growing the follicle but other scientists will say no it's to do with even carbohydrate how much carbohydrates you're eating so I, I guess it's it's lots of different things, isn't it? Um, but when you did find out that this could be linked, was was that something that came as a huge shock to you? Or did you start to think, actually, yeah, that makes sense? It started to make sense. And also it was a warning of, OK, Izzy, you can't keep to, um, kind of den- being in denial about this. Mm. And the thing that I found frightening was to be honest about it. I think it's important to be truthful and, and, and honest and in the hope that maybe it might help others. Um, when I'm, and I mean on social media, talking about things. But to talk about this was mm-hmm. the hardest post that I've written and opened up and shared about. And I still feel, you know, anxious thinking about talking about it. Because Why do you think that is? I've always been kind of wondered about that because it seems as though you know obviously talking about mental health is I hate to say trendy but it but it is something that everyone is striving to do more which is brilliant but it I feel as a kind of champion for people with eating disorders that eating disorders are often left off the table too often and I don't understand why that is yeah I totally I totally agree with you um because ultimately it is a mental health issue Mm. isn't it and Mm. I, I think well I was embarrassed I felt really embarrassed um to have got myself into this state I suppose I also felt that it was something that was from that I could keep just for me and by opening up about it means you're sort of going okay I can never go back there and that's quite scary when it's something that you've used as a tool to help manage anxiety or to feel more in control. I also felt, you know, would I want my children to know? Because you almost, there's a protectiveness of not wanting them to have to experience that. 
and you want to be a role model and you want to be you know able to be a, a you know a good example so I don't know whether that played into it a little bit but this is something I've found very very difficult to open up and talk about but with the lives that many of us lead now with food being a big conversation and, and exercise and healthy living and having come out of the pandemic when we've been in our heads at home a lot more uh, I just sort of thought surely I'm not the only person who has battled mm, this yeah you're not I know for a fact you're not <laughs> there's many 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 more and were you at the point where you lost your periods Izzy were you trying were you trying to get pregnant with a third baby at that point no so there was an incentive also to get my periods back because my husband and I had um, talked about having another baby and we had a frozen embryo from our first round of IVF, which pulls at my, my heartstrings. But we made the decision um, with the help of the clinic that we would try naturally um, for six months, which was what was recommended. Because obviously there's no guarantee that the frozen embryo um, would survive the thaw. And also I would have to go through quite a lot of hormonal treatments. And I wasn't sure if I was ready for that yet so it gave me a real incentive um, from reading about HA and reading the book to try and do my best to recover and that in a way this my little baby who's, who's only five weeks old now mm. I've has almost been my fertility sort of story for him has been such a huge achievement because I fought one of my kind of biggest battles one of my biggest demons and I, I feel proud of that. You should feel very, very proud, very proud. And congratulations. Thank you. I find it interesting that obviously going kind of way back with your first pregnancy when, when you, you guys had difficulty and you had to go through IVF. W were you having periods at that point? The first, initially, no, not really. We'd got married, I'd come off the pill. Looking back, I realised that actually my cycles were really short, maybe one, two days. But I was like, oh, great, my periods have come back because I just didn't understand really what it should be like and what a cycle feels like and when you ovulate and all those things. And obviously, once you start trying for a baby, you learn everything about um, your ovaries and everything that happens and it becomes an obsession. So, no, I, I don't think I've ever had since, you know, coming off the pill proper cycles until, you know, last september wow that's so interesting and so what do you think about the diagnosis of pcos now then do you because I, I know from speaking to many gynecologists and actually had an interesting uh, conversation with an expert yesterday who said that she sees lots of young women who come through her clinic who have been diagnosed with pcos and actually they don't have pcos at all they have this problem of no periods and and actually the scans and stuff can mimic pcos so it looks like that is what the diagnosis is but it's wrong do you do you think now looking back whether that was a problem at all? Yeah, I've always thought that my diagnosis of PCOS didn't quite add up. Felt like there were pieces missing from the puzzle. Um, mm. I didn't feel like I had all the classic symptoms, and I believe my body just didn't think feel it was safe to have a baby, and my energy was going elsewhere in my body. And, you know, I remember my mum saying to me, which she lost her father to Alzheimer's, and her period stopped for a year, you know, with the grief of the stress initially, of, and the worry and the grief. 
and the connection and that that made me really stop and think gosh you know our bodies are so sensitive and if I've been in this fight or flight anxious you know state and I'm running on adrenaline cortisol and everything else obviously that part is going to shut down you know and obviously it's hard because people will say don't you know just relax and all those classic sentences that you hear but when it's your default setting to be that kind of person it's it's hard to just suddenly go oh I'm I'm totally chilled so reading about HA and the link between a misdiagnosis of it over PCOS and understanding the differences um, was really interesting and I I think probably this has been my problem from the beginning and I feel like I've finally got an answer. Mm, mm. What always surprises me is as somebody who's always been um, and like you you know I I didn't I didn't have an eating disorder when I was younger and I was very um, just conscious about healthy eating but in a what I thought was kind of normal way and actually looking back now I think well maybe maybe even way before the thoughts became obsessive I I was eating too little for my body perhaps Mm. and and not really being aware of it because you know I'm always surprised that actually it's quite a lot that you need to well you know, a lot of women I expect will be under eating in order to have regular cycles and not realising it. Yeah, and and that's what I mean. It's so difficult, isn't it? Because everyone's body works in a different way. And, you know, the HA for me initially might have been more because of the anxiety and the stress that was affecting my hypothalamus. Um, you know, and then, so I feel like there's sort of three threads of the food and the stress and the and the exercising and then when when I put them all together I obviously just you know every it just all completely shut down so I think it would be great to get more awareness of this in the UK you know because I think in America it's much more um you know known about mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. over here it's still yeah not really talked about or known about mm. well we must say, um, for anyone who does want more information about hypothalamic amenorrhea, if I said it correctly, um, yeah. please do check out. <laughs> please do check out a website called Now a No Period Now What. Um, it's uh, set up by a biologist called Dr. Nicola Rinaldi, and she's very knowledgeable on this topic. Um, and there's also a clinic, um, as I understand, at St Mary's Hospital um, in London, where they specialise in this too. Izzy, thank you so much for spending the time chatting to me today and being so honest and open about everything you've gone through. And I'm so, so glad that you have been on your way to recovery and that you're doing well, and as is your little lovely baby. Oh, thank you, Eve. And thank you for giving me the space to feel comfortable enough to open up and talk about it. Absolute pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. You'll find all the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. You can follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then.